0: Potentially scalable way to inactivate pathogens in a room.
1: Are COVID vaccines a potential treatment for long COVID symptoms?
0: Unintended consequences of one method of treating cancer.
1: And can the flu vaccine protect against the COVID infection?
0: That's what we're talking about this week on Double T Health Watch, your weekly look at the medical headlines from Texas Tech University Health Sciences Center in El Paso. I'm Elizabeth Tracy, a Baltimore based medical journalist.
1: And I'm Rick Lang, president of Texas Tech University Health Sciences Center in El Paso, where I'm also dean of the Paul L. Foster School of Medicine.
0: we turn to MedRxiv, this is a study that looked at healthcare workers in Qatar, that's how I've been told to say the name of this place, and the flu vaccine, and then their subsequent exposure to COVID.
1: We know that flu vaccine is recommended for high-risk groups, and there has been some thought that just the stimulation of an immune response could potentially protect against COVID infections as well. And that's what these investigators attempted to discern. And the way they did that was they looked at individuals in Cutter that had received the flu vaccine from September to the end of December in 2020, before COVID vaccine became available. And they matched those individuals against what's called a test negative case control study. They took individuals that had received influenza vaccine, they tested for COVID, usually because of symptoms, some of whom were negative, some of whom were positive to ascertain whether the influenza vaccine actually help protect. And what they found out was the estimated effectiveness of the flu vaccine, this is a quadrivalent Abbott vaccine, against COVID infection was about 30%. What was really important was the effectiveness of the flu vaccine against any severe or critical or COVID infection that was fatal was almost 90%. All
0: right, so I'm really interested in this because you're always landing on that point we talk about so often, association rather than causality. So let's talk some more about that.
1: Elizabeth, you hit the nail on the head. This doesn't prove that the two are causative, but it clearly is an association. And that's the best we can do with a study like this. I totally agree.
0: Yeah. So how would you test this more rigorously?
1: You'd like to be able to do a prospective study. And that would take out all the confounding things that you use when you match individuals. Now, fortunately, they had over 30,000 healthcare workers that had received the flu vaccine, but ideally you'd like to do it in a randomized, controlled way. I would say that I wouldn't recommend this for preventing COVID infection. There's no question about it. Especially in the upcoming autumn and winter months, we need to make sure that individuals get their flu vaccine, especially healthcare workers and other high-risk individuals.
0: Well, since we're talking about COVID and high-risk individuals, let's turn to this journal that we have never talked about before, Scientific Reports, and that's a nature journal. It's something that's called FAR-UVC Light. And it is a way to efficiently inactivate airborne pathogens in a room sized chamber. And so that was the thing that was so. Compelling to me about looking at this particular study. We are seeing, of course, at Hopkins an increasing number of people with COVID, and I was required to put on a PAPR for the first time in a while last week. And it occurred to me in looking at this study gosh, wouldn't it be really great to be able to utilize some kind of technology like this in the hospital so that we could inactivate the pathogens? And it would be even better, of course, if it did all of the pathogens. So this utilizes something that's called a Krypton chloride excimer lamp that's referred to as far UBC, as I said at the beginning. It's been demonstrated in the past to be able to help nail all of these pathogens in the laboratory. So what they did was they modeled this thing with an aerosolized Staphylococcus aureus, and they did different arrays of these particular lamps in a room-sized chamber. And they basically were able to demonstrate that at a room ventilation rate of three air changes per hour, which is really not that fast, as we both are aware, and five filtered sources, they had a steady state pathogen load that they were able to reduce by 98.4%, which is equivalent to 184 air changes in that room. They also point out that this particular wavelength of light does not result in the whole constellation of deleterious things that other forms of sterilizing light do in people.
1: We know that there is germicidal ultraviolet light, which has been effective, and the wavelength of that kills most pathogens. However, when exposed exposes to eyes and to skin, it causes corneal burns and sunburn. It can increase the risk of skin cancer. This far UVC light doesn't have those consequences. However, a couple of things about this particular study. The lights in the room were specifically positioned. There were five lights in there, and over the course of time, it did provide an increased amount of UV radiation, more than what's recommended if someone sits for eight hours. That's at the high UV exposure. It does hold some promise. does have to be carefully planned. And As you noted, this aerosolized room had very controlled conditions in terms of humidity, in terms of air exchange and stuff like that. Is it ready for prime time? The answer is no, not really. Is this a good first step? The answer is absolutely.
0: Well, I, for one, would be so happy to have something like this instead of a pepper, which really inhibits communication. So let's turn to your next one.
1: Let's talk about the potential of having COVID vaccines as a source of treatment for long COVID symptoms. We know that COVID vaccines prevent infection, they prevent severe infections, and it also looks like they prevent long COVID symptoms. This is a different hat. There were some observational studies that suggested that individuals that had COVID infection and subsequently develop long COVID symptoms, when they received a vaccine, those long COVID symptoms went away. And that's a pretty novel observation. So these investigators looked at over 28,000 participants in a survey called the National Statistics COVID-19 Infection Survey. This is a survey conducted in the United Kingdom. So these individuals had COVID, they waited four weeks and they got a subsequent vaccination. Now about a fourth of those individuals ended up having long COVID symptoms. And what they discovered is those that received a vaccination after that, it was associated with a 13% initial decrease in the odds of continued long COVID. And then when they received a second vaccine, the second dose of the mRNA vaccine, there was another initial 9% decrease in the odds of long COVID. This is really interesting information that suggests that individuals with long COVID symptoms may actually benefit for the administration of the COVID vaccine.
0: There's a lot of really curious things that are coming out as you're well aware Relative to COVID, long COVID, the management of it. And I specifically refer to the recrudescence of symptoms following Paxlovid administration and how some people seem to come back with that. So I guess I'm wondering if you were speculating on the biological plausibility of this, what would you say?
1: There are two things that come to mind. As with Paxlovid, what happens is with that agent, it really doesn't destroy the antigen reservoir. And it's once the medication is stopped, you still have the COVID virus around. One possible explanation is there's a residual COVID virus reservoir in these individuals that's responsible for long COVID. By giving the vaccination, you get rid of it. The other is that it resets the immune system. It's the immune response that's responsible for long COVID. There's something about the vaccine that resets that in a way that's healthier.
0: Well, it seems to me that there's a low bar then to just going ahead if you have the long COVID symptoms to getting an additional vaccine.
1: And that's a recommendation. There are people that say, well, I've had a COVID infection. I don't really need the vaccine. We've talked before about how the vaccine gives a higher antibody titer and longer duration of protection. This also suggests for people with long COVID symptoms it may actually be helpful as well.
0: Finally, let's turn to the New England Journal of Medicine. And this is a look at demethylation and then subsequent upregulation of an oncogene after therapy that's designed to remove these methyl groups. It's called hypomethylation therapy. And this is something that's been around there for a while, and it's all part of the epigenetics field. And we know that we add these methyl groups to various parts of the DNA and it activates or deactivates it. And that's one of the mechanisms where all of our DNA is either transcribed or not transcribed. And so these, you said these hypomethylating agents in people with cancer has been underway for a bit. And in this case, they're looking at a specific gene that's called SAL4, a known oncogene in people who have myelodysplastic syndrome. It's a retrospective look at this. They basically are looking at upregulation of this gene, SAL4, after people were treated They had two cohorts of patients who all had myelodysplastic syndrome, and they used a CRISPR-related technique in order to take a look at how much demethylization was going on in their genomes. What they found was that, sure enough, after this treatment, 40% of the patients in one cohort and 30% of the patients in the other cohort did have activation of this oncogene and a worse outcome as a result of this particular treatment. And interestingly, they were also able to look at what was the nature of this gene before they were actually treated. And many of them did not have upregulation of this specific gene before treatment. I think this is raising some pretty serious red flags in a very large percentage of patients who are being treated with these agents.
1: These agents, which remove methyl groups from particular genes, are very effective in activating tumor suppressor genes. But as you mentioned, in about a third of individuals, they can actually activate what are called oncogenes. Those are genes that actually promote tumors. Now, this may be one of the reasons why agents work in some individuals and not in other individuals. These are the most effective therapies we have right now for these types of cancers, but it may give us insight into why some individuals either don't respond or they respond for a while and then the tumor progresses. I think this particular study will give us some additional impetus to study these particular individuals to see if we can identify them.
0: It's unclear to me, though, exactly how we're going to do that, because as I said, their baseline expression of this oncogene at diagnosis did not differ among those people who ended up having subsequent activation and those who didn't. So, I'm not sure what metric you would use to find out whether somebody was going to be one of those people who's going to end up with a dire outcome versus someone who wouldn't.
1: The first thing we may have to do is ascertain in a particular individual, does hypomethylation induce activation of the sal gene? The other thing is we look at other interactions with other genes as well or with chromatin. So it may not just be the sal gene itself,
0: I just think it points out that it's that law of unintended consequences that, gosh, we really just didn't know that this was the case. And now it turns out that now we really need to look pretty hard.
1: Elizabeth, this has been a longstanding concern in that therapies that we provide to cure cancer may have unintended consequences. Again, it may explain why some tumors may initially respond and subsequently become resistant. And that information is going to be very important to find out.
0: On that note, then, that's a look at this week's medical headlines from Texas Tech. I'm Elizabeth Tracy.
1: I'm Rick Lang. Y'all listen up. Make healthy choices.